Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into it. So uh, we're looking at the seven miracles of John. Uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 6. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, John chapter 6 is the third, fourth, uh, whatever one it is. It's the fourth miracle that Jesus uh, performed. Um, and so it is uh, a great passage. Uh, it's somewhat of a long passage. Uh, and so we are going to uh, not really discuss much, but just jump right into it. So here's what it reads like in verses 1 through 4. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Uh, then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover feast was near. Uh, as we've said before, there have been mul- there are multiple miracles that Jesus did that John does not record, and this is uh, one of those hints at it. Okay, he's saying he's Jesus is performing healing the sick, uh, and he's crossing over, uh, and lots of people are following him. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, this this uh, uh, chapter of John uh, it, it follows chapter five. All right, really easy, right? Chapter five is mainly uh, about the miracle that Jesus performs in Jerusalem with a man who was lame for 38 years. All right? and, and there's a long dialogue at the end of that where Jesus discusses why he should be doing the work of the Father on the Sabbath day. Uh, and so that's kind of what, uh, what has happened and transpired to this point. And so uh, chapter six kind of picks up the story possibly even a year uh, after the events of chapter 5. And so John has skipped, again, uh, a large portion of Jesus' ministry. Uh, And this particular miracle that we're going to look at is the only thing in the book of John, uh, before you get to the final week of Jesus' life, uh, that is recorded in other Gospels. All right, so for the most part, John stays away from the other three Gospels. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John is writing much later, uh, and so he has uh, new information that he's wanting to make sure uh, that you know uh, that if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you did not know before. Uh, and, and so this is the only section, chapter 6, there's two miracles that take place in chapter 6, uh, and this is the only chapter that is similar to the other Gospels, until you get to uh, the triumphal entry and uh, the events that lead up to his crucifixion. All right, so, so that tells us a lot of things. That tells us that even as John is looking and trying to find the miracles that show that Jesus is the Messiah and, and, and trying to avoid everything else uh, that other people have already told, this one is important enough that he includes it in what he is writing. All right, so, so it is a very important miracle. The scene uh, is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus is crossing from one side to the other. Uh, we're told in the book of Matthew that the reason why he's crossing over is because because uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, and he's trying to escape from the crowds, and he has no luck with that. Uh, as he crosses over, uh, some of the people see that he's crossing over, and they run ahead, and the crowds just swell. Uh, and, and we're told the reason why in John. It's the time of the Passover. And so the way that the crowds are going around the Sea of Galilee, uh, the 
they're passing through the uh, pilgrim passage, okay? The way that the pilgrims would go from Galilee to Jerusalem was around the Sea of Galilee. And so as they're running, people are say, probably saying, hey, why are you running? And they're saying, Jesus is over here. Jesus is over here. And it's like a celebrity, okay? Uh, how many people, if, if your favorite celebrity walked into Mexico, Missouri, and someone says, hey, I'm going to go see whoever it is, uh, you wouldn't be like, yeah, let's go do that. I, we see it all the time. We see celebs that walk in, and, and they have to a point where they cannot even walk. Okay, And that's kind of what's happening here is, is uh, John's going to tell us that there's going to be 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women or children. And it's not that there are just 10,000 people not working. Okay, That's not how that society worked. They worked, all right, but they were heading on a pilgrimage. And so there really was 10,000 pilgrimers as they were going on their pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem. All right, and so uh, uh, we see that this, this is an easy thing to happen. As people are traveling uh, the nine miles across the Sea of Galilee, uh, they, they just start to swell. Uh, Matthew tells us that when Jesus comes up to the shore, he sees these people coming, and he has compassion for them. All right, and so this is how uh, John says that Jesus handles the situation in verse 5. He says uh, that Jesus looked up, and he saw the great crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. In verse 7, Philip answered him, uh, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Right, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy uh, with five small barley loaves and two small fish, and, but how far will that go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them up and filled the basket with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over uh, by those who had eaten. All right, so... so Matthew, like I said, he, he's, we're told that he has compassion for this crowds. All right? Matthew says that Jesus actually starts teaching from the moment he gets onto the shore and sees the people, and he teaches all day. And so by the end of the day, they're pretty hungry. All right? Many of us, if we did not eat all day, we'd be pretty hungry as well. And so Jesus, uh, not only does he have compassion for their spiritual needs, but he has also compassion for their physical needs. And so he turns to Philip, and he says, Philip, we need to buy food for all these guys. Now the question is, is why did he turn to Philip? All right, he turns to Philip because Philip's actually from this area. All right, he's the natural guy to ask. He's the guy that knows where the local bakery shop is. And so he's saying, Philip, we need to feed these guys. Where do we need to go for this? All right, and Philip, he just sees the crowd and he starts calculating in his head. He's like, yeah, we don't have enough money for that. Right, we can maybe scrounge enough to give them a bite, right, but that's not going to feed them like you're talking about. And, and, and he just does this mental calculation. Lots of people, 10,000 people. Right? That takes a lot of money to feed. Right? If you ever have a wedding with 10,000 people, you would know this. I didn't have that, so I don't know it. So, uh, but, uh, so that's happening. Andrew, uh, he, he's, he's already gotten the plan. He heard we need food. He starts to look for people, and he finds something, someone. He finds a little boy, and this boy has five uh, barley rolls and two small fish. Uh, and that's pretty meager, but it's even more meager than what we think. 
right? Fish in that day, uh, it was usually pickled, right? To have fresh fish was actually a luxury, right? Because they didn't have any refrigerators. And so if you caught the fish, in order to ship it out to the different cities that did not live around lakes and seas, uh, they had to pickle it or salt it. All right, so more likely these are pickled fish. And not only that, but they're, they're probably the size of sardines. All right, and if you've ever opened up a can of sardines, uh, literally not figuratively, you would know that these fish are not very big. I mean, the can of sardines this big usually holds like 10 of them, I, I think, I, I, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and uh, uh, two of them isn't going very far, right? This small boy probably could have eaten it for, for lunch and hold him over for dinner, right? but it's not going to feed 5,000 people. Right, and then we talk about these barley loaves, and these would have been uh, not much bigger than, than maybe a dinner roll. Right, and, and I know some of you make these dinner rolls are like ginormous, right, but we're talking like a small dinner roll. And then the type of wheat that was used, barley, uh, we're told, uh, is a very interesting uh, type of wheat. It's, it's the type for the poor. Right? This, this boy didn't have much. Right? It, it's the type that people uh, didn't really want to use. Right? There is a... Uh, group of rabbis' teachings from the late B.C.s through the early centuries A.D., and it's called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it talks about the type of sacrifice uh, that a woman caught in adultery is supposed to bring to the, to the Lord. And it's a trespass offering. And, and part of the trespass offering is you bring uh, a food offering of flour and oil and wine mixed together. And they says, it says in the Mishnah that the woman caught in adultery, when she brings her food offering, she needs to bring barley. And it says the reason why she needs to bring barley is because that is the grain that you feed animals. And her sin was a sin of animals. And so barley loaves... Barley to the Jews in that time period was no better than dog food. All right, just think of it that way. And this is what the boy is bringing, something that they would toss to their animals. Right, and Jesus takes this and he feeds 5,000 people and he satisfies them. Jesus, the miracles that he performs in the book of John, they're not only uh, of quality, as we see in the water turning into wine, but it's also satisfying despite whatever misideas we have about life and this barley has satisfied them and and jesus says once they're satisfied go and pick up what they left over and this seems kind of weird to us but in our society when we get a plate of food it is customary that we finish it all Right, but for them, that's not what happened. They would customarily set aside a little bit of their food as a tip. Right? And so the servants, uh, they would come after everybody was done eating, and they would pick up the food, and that would be their food for that day. How awesome would that be? Uh, so what these disciples are doing is they're literally going out and doing what's already customary. Right? They had served the people, and the people they ate until they were full, and they left this little bit uh, that the servants would get. And so when the disciples are picking it up, they're not asking the people, are you done with that? Are you done with that? Are you done with that? They're just getting what they is owed them as servants. And it's way more than what they started off with. I mean, each one of these disciples have a basket that is full of bread and fish. And it all started from five and two. 
All right, so that's what Jesus does. And, and when the people see what Jesus does, man, he's just fed us. They're excited. All right, in verse 14, we're told that this, uh, they, I got to find it now. 14, they said the people saw that Jesus performed, the miracle that Jesus performed, and they said to him, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right, so uh, the people, they, they just got fed, okay? One of, the, one of the things that we desire as human beings is to have security. And one of our securities is food. All right, and these people, they're living very poor lives, and some of them, maybe they don't always know where their food is coming from. And so here Jesus, he's taken two fish and five loaves of bread, and he's fed everyone. How awesome would that be? And, and then they start to think to themselves, man, this guy, he's going to satisfy us. He's going to give us our desires, the things that we need to be secure. And so they said, maybe, maybe it's just like Moses. You know, it instantly came to their head that this is exactly what Moses did with the Israelites in the wilderness. When the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness and they got hungry, what did Moses provide for them? Manna. Bread. Bread from heaven. And here Jesus in the wilderness, they are hungry and he gives them bread. And when they wanted meats, Moses gave them quail, and Jesus has given them meat in the form of fish. And so instantly their minds start to think about Moses. And they said, this is the prophet. Now, if you remember, during our Christmas series, we talked about Moses and what Moses said in Deuteronomy to the Israelites. He looked at them and said, one day... God is going to raise up among you a prophet who is just like me and you are to follow him. And here the Israelites are recognizing that Jesus is like Moses. And they instantly start to think about this Messiah. And they start to think that this Messiah is going to be their king because they, in their hearts, had been taught their entire lives that the Messiah was going to be an earthly king. The Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman government. The Messiah was going to rule over them, and they would have a new kingdom like David's kingdom. And so they're getting excited. This is the prophet. This is the guy. We need to make him king. And Jesus realized what they're doing and says, no, that's not why I'm here. And so Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and cross back over. And Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he prays. Now the uh, next seven verses deal with uh, something that we're going to talk about next week. It's, it's a miracle that follows this first miracle. And so just for our purposes to continue our story, uh, we just need to know what happens in here. Jesus, he finishes getting praying. He looks out across the sea uh, and he sees his disciples rowing. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is about four miles across uh, from the way where we think that Jesus was to Capernaum. And, and, and so Jesus will walk on the water, and he will meet his disciples, and he will go with them all the way to Capernaum. All right, and so our story picks up back on this plain where 5,000 people uh, have been left. 
And, and this is what it says in verse 22. It says, In the next day the crowd uh, that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that the only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they, uh, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in the boats and went over to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Why did they go to Capernaum? Well, they probably saw the disciples leave, and the direction in which they were leaving was Capernaum. And so these people, this crowd, they're still waiting for Jesus. The excitement from the day before has not worn off as they slept. They are waiting for their prophet. They are waiting for their king. But he's not coming. And they're starting to talk to each other, and they're starting to say, you know what? Uh, The disciples left, but we don't know where Jesus is. He was on that mountain. He hasn't come down as far as we know. We've been awake, you know, as long as he's probably been awake. They didn't realize he didn't sleep. All right, and and they missed him as he walked across the lake. Because who thinks about people walking across the lake? You know, they're, they're confused, and finally some boats come t- from Tiberias come over, and, and they probably say, hey, we saw Jesus over there. And so they jump in the boats, and they start to follow. And, and one of the things that John does a lot with the miracles of Jesus in his book is he talks about the meaning behind them. And for John, he's going to enter into the rest of this chapter. It's a fairly long chapter where Jesus enters into a dialogue with these Jews and he talks about the true meaning for why he fed them. We're not going to read it all, uh, but we are going to read the first part of it. And it starts like this in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because of the loaves, uh, because you ate loaves and had your field. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And what Jesus, what happens is the crowds, they finally find Jesus and they ask a very simple question How'd you get here? How did you arrive here? You know, they've been watching the mountain, and they didn't see Jesus come down and go the way around, so that's, that's not possible. And there wasn't a boat. There's no way you went across the lake that way. How did you get here? But Jesus knows that that's not the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue for the Jews right now is why they're coming to him. And he says, you're coming not because you saw a miracle, but because you were satisfied in your stomach, and you're wanting another meal. That's all you're here for. And Jesus recognizes that they have some very selfish motives for seeking him out. And a lot of people don't come for free food. I mean, we could offer free food every week, and they would come. Because it's free food. And a lot of times we look down on them for that. But are we really any different? Now, we, we seek Jesus for our own needs. Like when we need to be comfort in the midst of tragedy, when we need strength, when we feel weak, when we need peace, when there's a lot of turmoil in our lives, when we need help in hopeless situations, there is no one better to turn to than Jesus. And a lot of times we do in those moments. 
But when Jesus asks us to sacrifice for him, when he asks us to put effort into the things that he's wanting us to do, when he asks us to pick up our own cross and to carry it daily, how many times are we like, yes, I want that, Jesus? I mean, many times we are very much like these Jews. Maybe we're not seeking a meal from Jesus, but we're seeking something from him. And a lot of times it's selfish. It's not because Jesus alone is enough. It's because we need something to satisfy in our lives. And for these men, Jesus wasn't enough. The miracle wasn't enough for them. They needed another meal. They needed someone as a prophet, as a king, who was going to give them everything that they desired. That's why they were seeking Jesus. And so Jesus turns to them and says, you need to stop working for food that spoils and work for food that leads to eternal life. What does he mean by that? He's quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah will talk about to the Israelites and say, why do you spend money for things that, that you can't eat? Why are you being fed by things that don't truly satisfy you? John is writing to a group of people that live in the most ridiculous time in the Roman history. In the 60 ADs, the Roman Empire had gone to a point where they were searching for something. They just didn't know what it was. And, and in Rome, they would have these parties that were lavish beyond compare. People would go to them and they would be fed uh, the brains of peacocks and the tongues of nightingales. All right, these birds that are very rare. And they, these were very delicate items that they were being fed. And, and parties would be spent that would cost over thousands of dollars. And the Romans, they would eat a, a course and then they would take an anemic so that they could throw that course up and eat the next meal, course of that meal. I mean, this was their parties. Right? They were living extravagantly, and it went beyond even their parties that they were spending money on. Uh, there's a, a lawyer by the name of Pliny the Younger, and he writes about watching a woman get married in a dress that was so gilded with jewels that it cost easily $500,000 today. And they were doing these things because they were lavishly rich, and they were lavishly hungry, and they were seeking things to satisfy their inner most being. And to these people, John is writing what Jesus is saying here, and he's saying, you're looking for things that aren't satisfying. And in verse, uh, the next verse that we're going to read, Jesus says this in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And what Jesus says in this verse is very much this. I am the bread of life, and bread in that time meant life. Right, it was the cornerstone of their food. Every meal, that was the centerpiece. And people worked and worked and worked to have enough bread on the table. That's why we still call them breadwinners. Right? It is the thing that they needed most. And Jesus is saying to these Jews, he's saying, you guys are seeking things that are sat to satisfy you, but what you really need is me. I am the bread of life. This bread that does not spoil, this satisfaction that you're longing for, it's me. And that is what we need as well. 
What are you trying to find satisfaction in? Maybe you're not throwing extravagant parties that cost thousands of dollars or serving uh, peacocks or nightingales. But you're trying to find satisfaction in something. For some of you, maybe it's sex. And you're looking towards pornography and extramarital relationships to satisfy your innermost being. You won't find satisfaction there. Maybe it's drugs and alcohol that you are striving to fill your lives with. Maybe it's not illegal drugs, but maybe it's prescription drugs that you are trying to be satisfied in life, and so you're self-medicating on things that really don't find satisfaction in. Maybe it's not those things. Maybe, maybe it's relationships. And you're seeking to find that true relationship that you need, that friendship that you are desiring. Maybe for you, it's politics. In this election cycle, you've been engrossed in politics, trying to find satisfaction in who our next leader, leader is, and that you're missing the entire point that it doesn't really matter who the next president of the United States is, because Jesus is our king. He's in control. He satisfies us. And if we're trying to fill our lives with things that aren't Jesus, then we are not going to ever find satisfaction. We're going to be left empty and hollow. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants us to be filled with the bread that leads to eternal life. And that's Him. He is the bread of life. He fed 5,000 people to show them that He satisfies. Are we allowing Him to satisfy us? Is Jesus enough for you? That's what He's asking. Am I enough? Because if not, you're missing it. He's all we need. There's nothing else in this world that can fill the void that Jesus can fill. And if we can understand that, if we can get that, then we can truly know what it means to be satisfied of all the desires that we have. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Jesus. The fact that he is the bread of life that brings about eternal life. Lord, most of our life is focused on trying to figure out the things that we can have satisfaction in. But a lot of times we're looking in the wrong places. I pray, God, that as Christians we can find our only satisfaction in you that we can be wholly devoted towards you and what you desire us to do, that we can take up our crosses and follow you daily. Lord, for those who are not Christians in this room, I just pray, Lord, that you would show them that, that the thing that they're seeking in life is you and you alone. You are the prophet. You are the Messiah. And he came to satisfy our longings. Thank you, God. Amen.